Glory to God. You know what's funny is once you get fasting, once you get over the first three to five days, you don't want to go back and eat. And I, for many of you, I know what I just said right there. You're like, yeah, that's nice, Pastor, but I'm going to go and have steak and eggs this morning. But it is interesting because your body actually shifts the way that it does things and it goes into a different state. Um, but <clears throat> I'm going to eat today too, so don't feel bad. Clive, Pastor Clive led our, our prayer meeting on Thursday night. He started with something really good. He said this, it's time to shut the door on 2023 so that we can move forward into 2024. And when he said that, and because I was praying about, Lord, what, what do you want me to minister on this week? What's, you know, because it's the beginning of the new year. I wanted to minister last week on the new year and new things and how things change. But, but we were going to be fasting this week. And so had a number of people just thank me and say, thank you for talking about fasting. I didn't know anything about it. We've never done it before. Uh, and so it was just very helpful. Um, but this week, we're going to talk about how important it is at sometimes to shut the door in your life. So go with me to Joshua chapter 1. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing life to this message in our hearts, in our ears this morning. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Look down to verse 6. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you will divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Jump down to verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, this passage is not a long passage, but it's interesting to me because three times in just this short little thing where God reaffirms, look, everything I said to Moses about the land, you're going to take the land. Everything I said to Moses about overcoming and you going in and receiving this promise, everything that you walked through for the last 40 some years walking in the wilderness with them, all that's going to come to pass. The old generation died off. You're going to take it. But three times in this little passage, he says, be strong and very courageous. This one, the verse nine is one of my life verses. It's something that the Lord has brought me back to over and over and over again. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and very courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Those are two things that take us out of just about anything, fear or dismay. What's going to happen? How's it going to turn out? Oh, it's not working. I've put so much effort into it, etc., etc. So three times he says this to Joshua, be strong and very courageous. So I got to thinking about this. Why did he have to tell him three times? Joshua was a warrior. He was one of the two guys that came back and, and said, we can take these giants. We can take this land. We'll do it. So this guy, is a, he's a man of war. He's a man of faith. He's a man of courage. And then I thought, why would the Lord tell him three times, you need to be strong and courageous. And I believe it's this. Think about how intimidating it would have been for Joshua to follow in Moses' footsteps. Like, this is Moses, right? 
This is the guy who comes down from Canaan as an old man, walks into Pharaoh with his rod and his staff, throws it down on the ground, and it turns into something else. And then his staff eats the, the magician's staff. This is the guy who says to the, 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 the leader of the empire of the world at that time, Egypt, says, you're going to have a whole bunch of plagues unless you let my people go. And he calls the 10 plagues. He walks outside and he calls for the 10 plagues or for the first one and it starts and he calls and he goes into Pharaoh. So Joshua just really is, is intimidated, I think, by, okay, well, I have to take over from Moses. What am I gonna do? How am I gonna do that? Do I need to go and get a rod like Moses did? Do I have to go up on the mountain and meet God? Like Moses went up on the mountain, there's two different times that Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days in the fire of God was lost and nobody else went up there. Nobody else could come up. And there's Moses, doesn't eat anything for 40 days because he's in the very presence of God. How's Joshua gonna follow this guy? Like talk about a big pair of shoes. Well, I'll have to do miracles like he did. We don't know of Joshua doing any miracles except the one obedience where they walk across the river and the river dries up. So Joshua's call wasn't to do miracles. But God says something really interesting here, and this is the part that, that he brought me back to. Moses, my servant, is dead. Period. Not gone to glory, not gone to his reward, not up here with me. How often does God say, somebody's dead? Jesus doesn't say that. Remember when Lazarus died? Jesus said he's sleeping. God doesn't like death. It's the last enemy. But he said this for a reason. He told Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Why? Because you have to let him die, and you can't do things the way that he did them. I don't expect you to be Moses. And I don't expect you, now listen to this, to bring the old wine into the new wineskin. I don't expect you to bring the new methods over here. The old way is gone. The old way you just walked with me is finished. So what God has to get over to Joshua is, in order for you to move into the new, you have to let go of the old. There's times in our life when the Lord starts to poke us and he says, you've hung on to that thing for too long. You need to let that go. Do you remember the scripture where it says you've gone around this mountain long enough? Same situation. You've gone around this mountain long enough. Now go this way. In other words, I'm tired of you guys going around and around doing the same thing. You need to change something up. But I found something out years ago. You often can't go into until you come out of. Hmm. So there's times in our life where we're supposed to come to the end of something and we're supposed to let it die. What do you have from 2023 that you need to let die? <laughs> this is definitely the early fasting crowd. Kind of like, yes, pastor, we agree. Can we go eat now? Lack of energy, I know, I know. <laughs> So think about this. It can be something good. Okay? It can be a great success or a tremendous victory. And the Lord says you need to let it die because I have better victories. We can't rest on our laurels. 
It's not that we forget what God has done and, and things that he's done that were amazing and wonderful and achievements and all that, whether it's in, in our own lives or in our business or our family or whatever. It's not that we just, we forget and throw those things away, but too often we lean back on the successes of the past and we rest on our laurels. You don't get to rest on your laurels until we put you in the box. That's a coffin for those of you that aren't quite there yet. Okay, so it can be something good. It can also be something bad. Personal hardship. A trial you never expected. A loss. A loss of a loved one. Hard things that we go through while we're here on this earth at this time. You have to let it go. It's always interesting to me, you know, that God said to Moses, you're not going into the promised land, right? Paul said it in the New Testament. He said it spiritually. He said the law can't inherit the promises. That all the things that God gave to Moses, he was a type of obedience to God according to these principles. But the obedience to God according to the Ten Commandments won't take you into the abundance of the blessing of the goodness of the freedom and the liberty of who God is as a new creation. That's why we have religions all over the world that are based on a system of things that I do to make God pleased with me. Whether it's, you know, walking around and around a, a certain holy building praying or whether it's sacrificing my child in the Ganges River so that the gods will be pleased with me, the law can't inherit the promises. So what's interesting, because Moses was the type of the law, because he was the law, the Lord not only didn't let him go into it, he took him up to the mountain and showed him that, but then he took him home and nobody knows where his bones were buried. You know why? I believe that the Hebrews would have taken Moses' bones in there because he was a holy prophet. And God said, nope, not even his bones go in there. You're going to leave the dead guy in the old land. So what have you gone through in the last year or two years that you need to leave behind? I'll tell you something we need to leave behind. We need to leave behind the whole <laughs> of COVID. It's time to drop that sucker and kick it into the ocean of your forgetfulness. Come on. Well, what if it comes back? So what? It'll do the same thing it did last time. Affect about one and a half percent of the population of the world. Well, you're in the other 98 and a half percent, right? Do you know we had nobody in this church die during COVID? Not one person, nobody at all. And we had to pray some people through. But, but when something like that happens, and I said this before with us feeling about the hopelessness, we need to do it. I like what Clive did. He said, you need to shut the door. You need to give that sucker a kick on the way back and let it shut and say, you know what? I'm not dragging that into my future. The problem is that too often we have things that have cluttered our lives and we drag them from year to year and the Lord tries to get us set free from that and say, look, cut that off and get rid of it. One of the ways that the Lord spoke to my wife and I to do this, he said, you got too much stuff in your house, in your garage, and in your basement. I can't believe the amount of stuff 
that people have in their garages. They got this nice house with a big double garage and they parked both cars. And I remember seeing that in the place that we lived some years ago. They parked both cars in the driveway and it's minus 25. Get ready for it, it's coming. It's minus 25 and the wind is blowing in the snow, which is bad for cars. Like if you can park your car in the garage, the whole car lives longer. The metal, everything else, all that lives. And, uh, and I remember driving out of my house one day and going by and the guy had the garage doors open because it was spring and he was doing spring cleaning. And I realized why he had no cars parked in the garage because there was no room. All there was, somebody's getting convicted, all there was <laughs> was enough room to walk from the open garage door through all that junk to get to the house. And I realized something. We, we clutter up stuff. Now, I don't believe anybody, maybe there are a couple of hoarders in here. There's a, and there's prayer for that. But what's interesting, we thought, this, this happened when my brother died. He, uh, he was a hoarder. And he liked keeping stuff. So he died in a, little, in a plane crash. He was 49. And they were flying up northwest of the city here. And he was, a, he was a mountain climber. And so he and the other guy were flying. He was, the other guy was the pilot and had been a pilot for several years. And they flew into a box canyon. And uh, the, plane, the, the climb of the plane, the plane stalled. And they dropped. And in five seconds, they were dead. They just hit the side of the mountain. And that was that. <clears throat> well... So my, my wife and I were the primary ones to go over and help clean his house. So he'd rented a house, and he, it was a, rented out two rooms to students. And so all of Stuart's stuff was in the basement. So we went over to the basement to help clean stuff up, you know, because it was a rented property, and so uh, we had to clean it up. There was a pile, a literal pile of stuff like this in the rumpus room in the basement. And it was just stuff piled there. There was, there was textbooks and applications for college that were there from 20 years before. There were things that were broken that he thought, well, someday I'll fix it. Somebody's getting convicted again on that one. You got stuff sitting in your garage. It's been broken for 15 years. Throw the sucker out and believe God for a new one. So I'm going somewhere. So we cleaned this, you know, we went through this stuff and both my wife and I, all the way through, we're like, how much stuff have we got that's sitting around the house? You don't know how much junk you have until you move. Because some of you have become comfortable in your junk. Anyways, we, we went through all this stuff and I said to my wife as we were driving home the last day, where she said to me, she said, we need to go home and we need to clean up because what if we die right now and our kids get this piece of stuff that's broken and this piece of furniture that we've been, been in the, down in the basement for so long and all this stuff. And we went home and we just started going through stuff. And, and once you get my wife going on this, it's all over. There's things that, are, that have sentimental value and she's like, how sentimental? I'm like, well, it's kind of, whoop, there it goes. It wasn't sentimental enough. But we went through our stuff. We went through our basement. We took out. You know, that's when we came up with the rule that if you have clothes, I can't even say this looking at you. If you have clothes that you haven't worn in one year through all four seasons, you need to throw them out. If you haven't worn it in four seasons, better than throwing it out, give it away, unless it's really bad. If it's bad, don't give it away, for heaven's sake. If you're gonna reap what you sow and you give away your junk, guess what you're gonna get? Somebody else's junk. But here's what we realized. 
When we went through our stuff and we got rid of it, it was probably a week later, something like that, and we were sitting at the table and I said, do you feel lighter? She kind of looked at me. She said, what do you mean? I said, I don't have an explanation for this, but since we went through all that stuff that we just don't have anymore, our life is lighter. And she said, I definitely feel that. You know why? Because we let go of a whole bunch of the stuff that we had just dragged through our physical life. And there's a connection to all your stuff. If you don't believe me, you go and try and give some of it away and find out how connected that stupid thing is that you haven't even done anything with for 10 years. What about the clothes? Depending on your age... One day, let's say it like this, one day I'm gonna fit into that again. (laughs) Ladies. (laughs) If you can't say amen, say oh my. (laughs) I challenge you. What do you need to let go of? What do you need to get rid of to go into the new year? I use that physical example because it was just such a pertinent example for my wife and I to actually realize, and we still live pretty light. My wife made sure of it. We still live pretty light. So there's things we have to let die and leave the old behind or we won't be able to move into the new. Look at uh, Philippians chapter three. Let's see what Paul said about this. I challenge you, those of you who your garage is full of stuff, give it away. Give it away. Give good stuff away. Give it, there's somebody in here, it's funny how word of knowledge works, there's somebody in here, I see a dinette suite sitting in your garage that you're waiting to do something with because you got a new one and you haven't done anything with that one yet, but it's sitting in your garage. I'm not gonna ask for your hand because I don't want to embarrass you, but whoever that is with your dinette suite, I hear the word of the Lord. You either need to sell it or give it away. I would encourage you to give it away because when you give it away, God will give you better furniture back. But let me challenge you on this because as Christians, we need to walk light. Amen? Philippians 3, verse 13. Paul says this, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to that which is ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Wow, Paul the guy. So so he wrote this 26 years after 26 years of ministry and three years before his death. Now think about what he just said there. It makes sense that he would say, I'm forgetting those things which are behind when he was persecuting the church. Right? When he was after the church and, and hailing men and women, the Bible says, from different cities and throwing them into jail. It also makes sense that he would try to forget the hardship. So he tries to forget the beatings, the shipwrecks, the stonings, the times in prison. So there's just things that you don't want to remember. But I never thought about this before until this week when I put this message together. Imagine the miracles that Paul saw. Do you remember when he's in the one place, I, th- I think it was Lydia, I can't remember quite, where the, the, he's preaching to a brand new crowd 
and he sees a crippled man that's been crippled since his mother's womb, and he sees that he has the faith. That was a, a discerning of spirit or a word of wisdom, word of knowledge. He saw this man has the faith, and he said to this man right in the middle of his message, stand up right on your feet, and the guy jumps up, and that the crowd was so amazed that they called him Apollos and the other one Zeus, and they started to bring garlands, and the priest of the temple there brought garlands to sacrifice, and, and Paul and Barnabas were like, what are you guys doing? And then they realized they're sacrificing sacrificing to us because they said the gods have come down in the form of men. Imagine having a miracle that got people's attention like that. Imagine walking in that. It was short-lived because after that they stoned him to death. You read the same story. The guys come up from the other one. I think it was uh, Thessalonica came up and said, these guys are bad dudes and they probably got devils and all that kind of stuff. And they stoned them and left them for dead. And they were professional stoners. When they stoned you, you were dead when they were finished. So these are things that Paul walks through, the experiences, the miracles. Imagine um, talking, remember when they were shipwrecked and they ended up, was it on the island of Malta that they ended up? And... Uh, they speak to the council, the guy that's beside the main council there, who's a, a, a warlock, and he says, the hand of the Lord be upon you. And I call that the backhand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord be upon you. It says, immediately the man was struck blind because he was trying to tell the, the uh, council, don't listen to these guys. Imagine walking in all that. And yet Paul says, I forget what's behind The only reason you would do that is if you knew there was something better that was coming ahead. That was good, but there's more. I I have this drive in myself that whatever we've seen, there's still more. I am not satisfied with the history of the church uh, of miracles and healings. I've seen too much. I've seen cancer people get healed for, get prayed for, and get up. I've watched videos of the healing revival that happened from 1948 into the late 1950s with somebody completely bedridden, skinny with bone, just skin and bones. And the prophet gets up and preaches for half an hour and talks about it. And he says, if this man does not get up off of his deathbed, I'm a false prophet. And preaching, A.A. Allen, you look at, you preaching that. And then we watched in the video, this old tape, is this guy, he went over and laid hands on this guy after that. And the power of God hits this guy and he gets up and he starts walking and he's shaky because he's got no muscles left. All of his muscles have atrophied. But he starts walking back and forth across the front of the church as, as the life of God flows into him and eradicates the cancer. And the place goes nuts. People just start getting healed because faith, they see, oh my goodness, this is real. It's really true. I've seen too much of that what lets you let go of the old is something that pulls you into the new but you need to get that point right now and I finished with this point and go to the next what's in your life right now that you need to let go of so you can move on what needs to die you guys what needs to die from 2023 we're in a new year shut the door let it die don't pull it through Quit carrying the burden. There's somebody in here, you're carrying a burden of something. It's been on you for between two and three years. Just feel that burden of something. This has been on there. You need to let that thing go. And you need to let it die. Now, so not only does Paul say that he forgets what's behind, but he adds this. I'm reaching forward and pressing toward the goal. So, in Paul's case, I mean, we could apply it to ourselves, but we, we, uh, unfortunately, we make a separation between what we do and preachers. 
Paul says, I press forward to the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. So, so we could go that way and talk about the calling, and I'll bring a little bit of that up. But, but what Paul wants to do here is impress there's something that I'm doing that enables me to let go and let the, the other stuff, to forget this stuff. There's something else. See, if there's nothing pulling you forward, then everything's holding you back. Ooh, that was good. If nothing's pulling you forward, all the old stuff is holding you back. So what enables you to leave the old behind is something deeper than what's happening to you or around you. Listen to this. It's what happened and is happening inside you. What motivates you? I sure hope it's more than your job. I mean, just getting up in the morning to make money, <clears throat> you know, to uh, pay for the food, to have the house, to have the car, to go home and have supper, watch TV, go on the internet, go to bed so you can get up the next morning, eat breakfast so you can go to your job, so you can make money, so you can go home and eat supper that night, watch TV, go online for a while and go to bed, and then get up the next morning. Oh, dear God, people of God, if there's not more than that, what the heck are we doing here? Yeah. That's right. And I wrote this down. What's happening inside you? What motivates you? It's the why of your life. This is a really good time to, to examine the why as we go into the next year. Because do you want to be in the same place 12 months from now when we're January the 1st next year talking about life and changes and shifting? Do you want to be in that same place that you are right now? Or do you want something different and better? If you want something different and better, there's something you have to identify so that you can get there. There's many ways I could go, but I wanted to bring one of the simplest ones that's worked for me. What's your purpose? What's your purpose? 1 John 3.8 says this, for, the, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the evil one. Now, this is really interesting because we read that, but, but then we don't apply it. So Jesus could be on his way to the ruler of the synagogue's house because the, the man comes and says, my little daughter is lying at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her and heal her. And Jesus says, I will come. They're on the way and out of the crowd comes this woman with the issue of blood and she touches his garment and the Bible says immediately power went out of Jesus. I always like that because faith will draw from God. I want to say this, and I say it every time I preach it. It, it, it. Jesus didn't even have a choice whether or not to choose to let that power go out. The power went out because faith drew on his purpose and healed that woman before Jesus could do anything about it. Well, it might not be God's will to heal. It is God's will to heal. That woman's faith drew the healing power out of Jesus just like that. And Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? Who touched me? Now, unless he got a word of knowledge to know it was that woman, he was going through the same process, saying, okay, the power of God went out of me. Somebody touched me. Who was it, Lord? He didn't just walk over and go, lady, it was you. Come here. Here's my point. He's on his way to Jairus' house. And as he's on his way there, somebody comes up and grabs a hold of his purpose. His purpose was to destroy the works of the evil one. 
So in the middle of going to this guy's house to help fulfill his purpose, somebody drew on his purpose over here and he stops the whole crowd and he stops the ruler of the synagogue. This guy is like a leader in the nation with the synagogue leaders. This is like a, a, a holy man who would have also had influence in, in the city. And he stops the whole thing. And this guy, you can just see this guy standing over there. Come on, my, my daughter's dying. Look, she's just an old woman. She's just, she's got this blood thing, like leave her alone. Instead, Jesus engages her and he does it for a reason. He says, who touched me? And the woman, fearing and trembling, comes and falls down before him and tells him the whole truth. And he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Why did he do that? He stopped the whole crowd to use this woman to encourage her and say, what you just did is what got you the answer. And he used it as, a, as an illustration for the whole crowd. And it's very interesting because in the verses before that, the Bible says that the multitude thronged him and many were touching him. So he's walking through the crowd and people are going like this. I wonder if anything will happen. I wonder if something's gonna change. I wonder if what? And, the, and the, the disciples said, Master, you see the multitude thronging you? And you say, who touched me? So in the middle of going to fulfill his purpose, his purpose is fulfilled right here with this woman. And he didn't say, woman, my power has made you well. He said, woman, your faith did this. Why? Because she drew on his purpose. What's your purpose? You find that quite a number of Jesus' miracles happened when he was on the way to somewhere else. <clears throat> but let me say this. When you and I first become a believer, we begin to be aware that we were created by God and we're here for a reason. There's a sense of calling. Let me say it this way. We begin to understand that our existence is a product of divine intentionality. My existence is a product of the intention of a divine God who put me here. Now, I don't know about you, but ever since I came back to the Lord, I felt like there was something pulling me forward in my life. Immediately, I began to ask God, what am I here for? Without even knowing, just immediately, I began to ask God, what am I here for? You created me. That changes everything. If you created me, then you put me here for something. What am I here for? One of the things that, that began to come up on the inside, and I, just, I even remember having dreams of where I was standing in front of a stadium, and I was holding my Bible, and I was speaking to the stadium and talking to all these people. And, and, and I thought, well, that would be pretty cool, taking the Bible. And of course, as I dug in and I started to, to dig into it and, and, and realize, I thought, I wonder... I wonder if I'm allowed to like, teach other people the Bible. Found out many years later that the Bible says that no man takes this honor unto himself. What I'm doing right now is an honor for me. And I remind the Lord of that many times. I say, I'm so amazed that you would use me to teach your word to other people. Because I know me. I know my mistakes and my shortcomings. I know my, my fallibilities and my weaknesses. And if you want to know more of them, talk to my wife. <laughs> but we, we walk out this purpose <clears throat> in phases. So I, I wouldn't have called it purpose, but I realized when I went to Bible school that there was a purpose. And when I came out of Bible school, I knew this is what I'm supposed to do. My mom said to me, well, don't you think you should have a trade or something to fall back on? Because my family is a construction family and all that. And, and I said, well, mom, I said, this is what I'm falling back on. 
Ministry is what I'll fall back on as just a young boy without knowing. But let me illustrate. So I came out of Bible school with a clear awareness that I was supposed to spend my life as a minister of God. I had no idea what that looked like. I actually never thought I'd be a pastor. Never thought. Just didn't. I thought, nah, I'm not, you know, I'm not really good with relationships, da, da, da. I struggled with another desire, which was to be a full-time worship leader. And it took me, and I want, you to, I want you to catch my process here so that you can apply it to your process because the discovery of purpose is not only what am I here for that I'm gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day and say, I created you for this. This is your job. This is what you were supposed to do. This is what I created you for. But also the process of learning to identify the focus of that purpose at different points of your life. Does that make sense? Can you, are you following that? Okay, shake yourself or poke the person beside you if they're getting droopy. I know it's, it's you know, no energy bars or anything yet. It took me several years to struggle or to, to learn that my teaching gift was a primary and my worship gift was secondary. I would have loved to have been a full-time worship leader. That's what, one of the reasons why if you don't like worship, you probably won't stay here because the pastor really likes to worship. And the worship leader does a pretty good job, too, I think. <laughs> He's actually better than me now on the guitar and, and probably better on the drums, too, even though I taught him drums. Okay. <laughs> my first position was a youth and music pastor in a small church in B.C. Follow my progress here. And, and, and what I want you to do is, is look at your own life, wherever you're at right now, and say, do I know my purpose? Can I bring purpose in? And we'll help you with that here in a few minutes when we finish. So both of those were very fulfilling, leading worship and, and loving my youth. But after eight years in two churches in youth ministry, I began to feel dissatisfied. I didn't know what the next phase was, so I remained submitted to the pastor I was working with because he needed me in youth. I submitted that thing. One of the hardest things to do is to bow down when your heart is going somewhere else, but you've got nothing there to, to, to take you there. There's no position. There's no offer. There's no money. There's nothing there. God hasn't released you yet. That's when you be faithful in whatever you're doing right now and let God open the door. Within six months, the Lord brought another young man to work alongside me, and I turned the youth over to him, and we started Southside Victory Church. That'll be 31 years ago in May. And I literally said to Pastor George Hill, who's the leader of the Victory Churches, I said, I'll pastor this church until you find somebody who's called to do it, 30 years ago. <laughs> Little did I know that we would lead the church through several phases to eventually become an apostolic church. I didn't know anything about an apostolic church 30 years ago. I didn't know anything about it 20 years ago. It's only been in the last 15 years or so that we've moved into that. <clears throat> I always had a desire in my heart to travel and speak and did travel full time from 2001 till 2010. Traveled all over the world. It was wonderful and spoken. That's part of the calling that God's given me. <clears throat> and I knew that in my heart, but I didn't know how to get there. I had still seen the pictures of myself and I've been now on big stages in places where, you know, there's, uh, there's thousands of people, but I didn't know how to get there. But my purpose was to release God's truth to people and I've always had to let him set it up. So here's the deal. The purpose of being called to the ministry has never changed since Bible school, but the manifestation of that purpose has taken many different phases. 
And I've had to seek the Lord all the way through to find the seasonal purposes he would lead me into. What are you saying that for? Because there's two things here. One is to sit down and ask the Lord, what's my purpose? What did you put me on earth for? I had the Lord give me a question several years ago that was just a thought that came up. But, but in, this, in regard to purpose, <clears throat> he said, what do you do well unconsciously? That one's worth writing down, you guys. What do you do well unconsciously? Some of you are just friendly. There's a gift that you have, that you're just, you're friendly and you're gracious. I was talking to somebody yesterday and uh, they do the follow-up phone calls. Barb and, and, and Gary Witherby sitting in the back there. They do the follow-up phone calls for people that it's their first time here. And then, and then we get a report. Pastor Clive and I get a report of, well, this person got phoned and this is what they said and all that kind of stuff. And I was just so grateful. But they've got the right personality. Gary will phone him up and start talking to him. How are you doing? What's going on in your life? Hey, what about this? Because that's his personality. There's a gift there, and he does it unconsciously. And it's a gift that blesses God, and it blesses me. Let me say something about the church. If something that you're doing here blesses me, it blesses God, because I'm representing him here. Right? And I'm just talking about here, but also out there. What do you do well unconsciously? Well, I'm a really good mechanic. Well, do, do, do you work that gift for the grace of God? Ask him how to do that. He put you on earth to be a mechanic, but there's a way the kingdom is supposed to work through your mechanicking. Well, he put me on earth to be a businessman. There's a way the kingdom is supposed to work through you in that business that brings the kingdom to other people. This is something, I believe, I believe this is something that we're going to see in, in the, the, the years to come should the hardship increase, which I believe it quite likely will. There'll be hardship, but there'll also be great blessing. Right, The day of the Lord is great and very terrible. It's great for the things of God. It's very terrible for the world. To the degree that we're attached to the things of the world, we're going to experience what we experienced in COVID, which was fear and lack and pressure and restrictions and all that kind of stuff. But when you come back to purpose, then your purpose will guide you through that because you know what you're here for. And I've told this church this before. When I came up and sat on the stage in the middle of the week when it was dark in here and just the one light back there and I said, God, what's gonna happen with this if I keep standing on this? And others stood better than I did and, and many less, but, but it was just my own. And you know what I realized? I realized that my purpose was bigger than what was happening through the present political government at that time. That my purpose was stronger and my purpose gave me the strength to stand up and go, okay, well, we're gonna keep standing then no matter what. What about you? What about your purpose? When you identify your purpose, it gives you what you press forward to. If you can't identify your purpose, you're always wondering, and what you'll go along with is whatever comes along. Oh, here's a business offer. Oh, here's this. Oh, here's that. The good thing about knowing your purpose and what you're called to do is that when something comes along that you're not called to do, you know it. I'm not called to do that. <clears throat> I say this uh, so, every so often here. We shout in this church what some others whisper. But we also whisper what some others shout. In other words, there's things that other churches do that people have said to me, well, how come you guys aren't doing it? And I said, that's not part of our mandate. Our mandate is this over here. I've been doing this church for over 30 years. I know the mandate of this church. This is what our church is called to do. Well, I thought, you know, if all the churches would get together, I agree. There's things all the churches need to get together on. But there's some things where the Lord says, no, you guys aren't doing that now. 
That's not what I want you to do. So let me finish with these two questions. Start to ask as you go into 2024, what's my purpose in life? And you can be young or old, it doesn't matter which one. If you're still breathing, God's not finished, right, with you. So ask the question, what is my purpose in life? And I, no, I gotta jump back for a minute. Before you ask that question, you need to go out of this house today asking yourself, what do I need to let go of? What needs to have the door shut? What am I, that's it, I'm not even worried about it. I'm not praying about it anymore. I'm not worried about it anymore. I'm not even gonna carry the care of it anymore. I'm leaving it in the hands of the Lord and I forget those things which are behind and I press forward, right? Number one, you gotta get that. The number two thing is now that you've turned to this way, the question is, what's my purpose? And if you break that right down to where you are in your life right now, ask the question, what is the purpose in where I'm working right now? Is it just to pay the bills? Because you can work to pay the bills and still fulfill your purpose. You can have a job that you don't necessarily like, but your purpose is over here. So your job doesn't have to be your purpose. But what I'm asking us as a congregation to do is to get rid of the baggage from 2023 and the two years before it and start to identify all right, what is it, Lord, that you put me on the, on the, and how does that work right now? I finished with this little illustration. I had a, a couple come to me who had just got out of Bible school and nobody offered them, nobody had offered them a position. They had two young kids and they came to Bible school by faith, believing they were called. And um, they came and sat in my office. This was a number of years ago. And I was one of the teachers in the Bible school and they liked my class. And so they, they came over and saw me and they said, um, you know, we would like an appointment. I said, great, what for? They said, well, we wanna ask you some questions. So they came in and they said, um, we don't understand. God sent us to Bible school, but nobody's offered us a position. And we were sure that when we finished Bible school, we would get offered a position somewhere. So I'm sitting there listening and all these things are going through my mind, you know, and stuff like that. And the Lord interrupted me. And these thoughts came, I never, I've never forgot them since. The Lord interrupted me. And I asked them this. What's your dream? And they were expecting me to give them counsel on something, but, but I was really a word of knowledge from the Lord. I said, what's your dream? And they were like, what? Because they had to change their brain. I said, what's your dream? And they're looking at me, and then this illustration came up. And again, I've used it many times. If your rich Uncle Bob died, who you didn't even know you had, and he left you $5 million, and you could do anything in your life right now, you invest that money, you can live for the rest of your life, comfortably, very comfortably on that money. I said, if, if, he, if that happened and left you $5 million, what would you do? And they kind of looked at each other, and they were pondering it, and I said this, and these were all Holy Ghost thoughts. I said, because your dream is the doorway to your destiny. And here's where most of us get stuck, and here's where they got stuck before this conversation. When I asked them that, if you could do anything, they, they, they kind of looked at me and they said, well, you know, uh, we gotta get a job and we gotta get, I said, no, 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 Uncle Bob died. <laughs> and there's no restrictions on money, you can do anything, what would you do? You know what happened? Look up at me for a minute. They went like this. And they, they moved over into the imagined thing. They moved over into, what would we do? And it got them thinking. And I, I caught it when, when they did it. I caught it. I said, Lord, that's what you do with us. 
You get us out of, well, you know, I got to go to work because I got to do this and I got house payments and I got three kids and I got da-da-da-da-da-da. And God goes over here and he says, I created you for something. What's your dream? If you could do anything, what would you do? And we have to let go of this other thing for a minute and go, what would I do? I'd go to Hawaii for six months. But that's not enough because you can only go there for a couple of months and then you're going to get tired and it's like, okay, what am I going to do? Stand up with me. How do you find your purpose? You move over into that place and say, if I could do anything, what would I do? I've had businessmen come to me and, and talk, we talk about this and I say, you know what? There's a, this was years ago, there's a Mexico trip that's happening. And they're going to go down there and they're going to build uh, some places for people to live. They're going to put together a basic building with some dorms for their little Bible school down there. What do you think about that? He says, I, I, I think that would be good. I don't know if I can get the time off. I said, you can get the time off. You run the business. And I know what it's like when you run the business to get the time off because the same thing works here. But he came back from the, from the business trip and he was so pumped and he caught something there of his destiny. And he said, you know what? He said, I don't know much about building, but he said, my company's gonna start funding these things. I saw the need over there. And he said, something came alive on the inside of me. And he said, I can't wait for the next one. He said, there, others will do the stuff. But he said, I get to go down there. And he said, I get to fund these things. I get to build. He says, my company's put aside whatever it was, $10,000, $20,000 that we're going to do next year. And we're going to build these places because he caught a piece of something that was outside of his little everyday spectrum. Have you caught that? It's not too late. Catch it in 2024 so you're not going through the same thing in 2025. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you this morning that you're helping us to let go that which is behind and press forward to that which is ahead. I thank you, Father, for the grace. We believe you for fasting, that as we move forward, that things are shifting, and especially this area, Lord. I'm asking that you reveal purpose to the hearts of the people of this church that we might begin to function in what you made us to be and not what we just do. I ask you for that. We ask you for that. I pray the grace of God over every person here. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, give you peace and bless the food as you go to eat it. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, we got some prayers here. Come on up. Oh yeah, Times and Seasons is open for those of you that won't make it all the way to a restaurant. Just down in the strip mall and they've got some special food they've set out. Service. If you'd like more information about Southside Victory Church, download our app from the App Store. Follow us on social media or check out our website at svcf.ca. If you'd like to hear more from Pastor Craig, you can check out www.timesofrefreshing.com or follow Times of Refreshing on social media to see if he's speaking in a city near you. You can connect with the church anytime, give us a phone call or send us an email. Thanks again for joining us in building a community of believers together. We'll see you next week.